Washington State and southern Vancouver Island are home to a distinct population of killer whales called the Southern Resident Orcas. Black on top with contrasting white eye and saddle patches, each whale has its own distinctive markings. From May through October, tourists flock to this region to see the southern residents, revered for their social nature and strong family ties. Offspring remain with their mothers for all of their adult lives. But lately, those lives are being cut short. Calves are dying before they're born or shortly afterwards. The plight of one mother orca and her calf captured global media attention a few summers ago. Marine biologists are keeping a close eye on an endangered orca off the waters around the southern Gulf Islands. Named Tahlequah, J35 to researchers, her calf lived only about 30 minutes. But instead of letting it fall to the ocean floor, Tahlequah carried the dead calf, pushing it around with her nose for an unprecedented amount of time and hundreds of miles. Researchers say the whales are known to grieve, but never for this many days. The orca, known as J-35, is still carrying her baby 17 days later. The mother is going through a deep grieving process. But since then, the mother has been getting weaker and weaker as it tries to carry its dead offspring above the water. A sign she may be experiencing difficult and complex emotions not so unlike our own. Scientists believe the calf died of starvation. The incident was well-documented by researchers like Paul Cottrell with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans Canada. I was out um, for the whole two weeks, and it was very, very um, emotional to, to see just that bond and how mum was just so um, reluctant to, to let go of the calf. Cottrell knows these whales well. He and other researchers have been closely documenting all three southern resident family pods, known as J, K, and L, with the DFO for 23 years. These animals are photographed and ID'd all of them every year. So we know um, all of the animals, and we also know um, when calves are born and when animals die. So this population is very well studied and very well understood. Researchers know that the orca food supply, Chinook salmon, is becoming smaller in size, and there are fewer salmon being born, mostly because of overfishing. And the whales are having more trouble finding the salmon that is still around because of a dramatic increase in ship traffic in this area, perhaps the biggest challenge these marine mammals face. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Janet Babin. Today on the podcast, we head to the Pacific Northwest to understand the obstacles that confront these endangered orcas and how researchers are using artificial intelligence to help orcas and humans to coexist. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash F-O-E-F podcast 
to secure your spot. What happened to J-35, or Tahlequah, wasn't an anomaly. The southern resident calves have been struggling to survive for some time. They've been listed as endangered in both the U.S. and Canada since the mid-aughts. But their numbers continue to fall. In 2005, there were 88. Now, there are just 72 in the wild. One lives in captivity. Their home waters are in the Salish Sea, an elaborate network of channels that span the coasts of Seattle and Vancouver, from Olympia, Washington in the south to the middle of Vancouver Island, British Columbia in the north. The sea encompasses Puget Sound, the Strait of Georgia, and the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Much of it is rich in natural beauty and teeming with wildlife, with rural shorelines backlit by tall evergreens and craggy hills. It's a magnet for nature lovers who crave an active lifestyle. But the Pacific Northwest has been getting crowded these past few decades, with people competing for space with the local wildlife. As of 2020, Washington's population was nearly 8 million, and Vancouver's topped out at about 2.5 million and is projected to grow. It's become a busy place. So you see things like bald eagles nesting next to satellite dishes in busy parking lots. Big ravens beg for food next to cold-pressed coffee shops. Commuters hop on ferry boats here like people in other towns take the train or the car. On these trips, they can sometimes spot the southern resident orcas milling about. But a lot of the time, the orcas are framed by ferry boats or container ships. The area's ports are growing along with the population. In 2018, Port of Vancouver ship activity reached a record high, and the port is undergoing numerous expansions. All of this increased commercial ship traffic on top of recreational boat activity is one of the biggest threats facing the whales that live here. This traffic causes numerous problems. Ships pollute the water, and they're loud under the waves. As we're about to find out, the ocean is getting crowded and noisy, and it's negatively impacting the whales. Dr. Lance Barrett-Leonard is the director of the Marine Mammal Research Program at the Vancouver Aquarium. There's also a lot of heavy vessel traffic that comes in, some of it going to the port of Vancouver, some of it going to the port of Seattle. Unfortunately, both, both major West Coast ports uh, have their roots running through southern resident whale critical habitat. But the obvious problem, he says, is that more boats increase the chances that whales will get hit, especially if the boats are going fast. A whale is far less likely to be hit by a ship that's running slow, and if it's running less than 10 knots, there's a good chance the whale will survive even if it is hit. That's just the facts. So regulators started issuing slowdown directives. In a few areas, these slowdowns are mandatory. But in the Pacific Northwest, where the orcas live, they remain mostly voluntary. Mariners say they want to avoid the orcas, but there are business conflicts. John Berg is with the Pacific Merchant Shipping Association, a trade group that represents about 30 shipping lines that do business along the Pacific coast. For a lot of ships, schedule integrity is paramount. And so they need to be at a certain port at a certain date and a certain time. And so planning is essential. 
especially since coming in late can mean higher fees and lost revenue. Mariners go back and forth about how to quiet ships. They talk about things like reducing noise by finding optimum speed or by retrofitting or upgrading vessels with more efficient, quieter parts. They even say that in some cases, slower vessels actually make more of a racket. Now, to researchers, this is a settled question. The faster the ship, the louder the ship. And it's the noise that is even more detrimental to the orcas than ship strikes. The underwater cacophony is mostly generated by a ship's propeller. It releases vapor-filled bubbles. Orcas, like all cetaceans, rely on echolocation to communicate, mate, and find food. For orcas, it's how they find salmon. As the orcas chase salmon, they make clicking sounds that they send out into the ocean. The click then bounces off of the salmon and creates an echo, and that's how they know where the salmon are. Underwater noise pollution specialist Dr. Lindy Weilgart is an adjunct research associate at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Cetaceans are particularly uh, vocal. Uh, They use sounds to uh, find their prey actively using uh, biosonar. And the various uh, noise sources that humans uh, put into the ocean can affect whales in that they are uh, masked. That is, the sounds of interest are obliterated by by us adding this sort of acoustic smog of, of noise so they can't hear as well. You can actually hear the masking that Wildgard is talking about. Listen to this underwater recording of northern resident orcas who have different dialects from their neighbors, the southern resident orcas. This recording was provided by Orca Lab, a nonprofit research center based on Hanson Island near British Columbia, Canada. Those squeals are orca calls. Here's what happens if you overlay their calls with a recording of a ship underwater. It drowns out the orca squeals. All you hear is ship noise. That's because the sound created by the ship is at the same high frequency range as the orcas. It's kind of like being at a dinner party where people are talking over each other. But for the orcas, the increased sound means they'll lose their seat at the table. If the orcas can't hear themselves, they can't hear where the salmon are, and so they can't find food. And that can have far-reaching impacts that affect the entire population. Their uh, stress hormones can increase with shipping noise. With uh, seismic air gun sounds, they also reduce their vocalizations uh, to the point of sometimes falling outright silent, which means they uh, can't communicate with each other, and that probably affects mating. If mariners could know where the orcas are, they could try to avoid that part of the ocean, or at least slow down so their engine noise doesn't drown the orcas out. Ideally, they'd only have to go slow when the orcas were in the area. 
But it can be hard for ship captains to confirm where the whales are. In fog, rain, or even under normal circumstances, ship captains can't always see them. They often miss them. So some conservationists, along with the Canadian government, installed underwater hydrophones in the Salish Sea, along the coast of British Columbia near known orca habitat. They wanted to be able to track the orcas through their echolocation calls. But remember how orca sound was drowned out by the ships? Well, it's not just hard for the orcas to hear, it's hard for the humans too. It can take people a long time to listen to all those recordings, figuring out what is whale sound and what is a ship, a fish, or other marine life sounds. The orcas make noise at all hours of the day and night, and all of that sound, even that recorded overnight, has to be listened to by someone. Up next, how artificial intelligence can help speed this process up, and maybe find a solution for both the ships and the whales. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. The solution for the southern resident orcas that live off of Vancouver and Seattle may have been found on the other side of the world, in the rainforest on the Indonesian island of Borneo. There's so much happening there. This is Topher White. He's the founder and CEO of Rainforest Connection. The nonprofit uses big data to save critical forests and endangered animals. But in the forest, where you can't see more than 20 feet in front of you because there's trees there, uh, sound is really the way that animals sort of get the point across. White was on a trip to see fuzzy, small apes called gibbons in Indonesian Borneo about a decade ago. The primates were losing their forest homes to illegal logging. White joined government officials in the forest to listen for illegal loggers. Uh, and found myself in the forest realizing that... Uh, the most inefficient thing people could do, which is walking through the forest trying to find something that, you know, normally makes a lot of noise, like chainsaws out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it turns out in a noisy forest, it's still pretty hard to pick them out. But computers is particularly good at picking uh, sort of the, the signal from the noise. And so I figured that this is a technical problem that could solve a larger issue for the people there on the ground. White's background is in physics and software engineering. So we thought, Artificial intelligence could pick out the chainsaw sound from the forest sound just as good, if not better, than humans. He built an AI model that tracks sound in the rainforest using old cell phones perched in trees that notify locals in real time when they pick up chainsaws or other potential threats to the ecosystem. White's model caught the attention of Matt Harvey, a software engineer at Google AI. Harvey was working on an algorithm to identify humpback whales in more than a decade's worth of underwater recordings taken from a number of locations in the Pacific Ocean. So, yeah, we've collected data sets on many whale species, especially humpbacks, orcas, North Pacific right whales, uh, gray whales, and bowheads. So uh, what we're working on now is to combine these different data sources 
A few months after the Orca mom made headlines carrying her dead calf around for 17 days, Harvey connected with Canada's Department of Fisheries and Oceans, called the DFO, in a similar program to detect southern resident orcas. So because the southern residents are under threat, this seemed like a a good partnership to prioritize. Harvey thought he could use Rainforest Connections platform to help him with logistics for the Orca project. This project would not have happened without Rainforest Connection, by the way. because Google is not operating the platform for the alerting system. Part of the the problem is not AI or machine learning. It's collecting the data, running the model on the data. Harvey designed an AI program that auto-detects southern resident orca calls from ocean sounds. To teach the machine learning program to recognize the orca, Harvey and the team used audio from the Canadian hydrophones, They'd collected 1,800 hours of underwater audio and identified thousands of orca sounds. So I'm Paul Cottrell, uh, the DFO uh, Fisheries and Oceans Canada Marine Mammal Coordinator, and I coordinate the BC Marine Mammal Response Network. Cottrell says Canadian officials initially installed the hydrophones for a number of reasons. They wanted to document where the southern residents were going, where they were feeding, and also collect information about when they die. This is really important for science to collect what information we can. Before Harvey created the AI model, Cottrell's team was going through reams of ocean audio listening for orca calls. But it's time-consuming to differentiate between the sound of an orca and a boat. Harvey's model is able to speed the process up. Hey, how's it going? Oh, hey, guys. Yeah, I was just texting Paul. Yes, hey. In early March, I went to Vancouver to see the model in progress, and Matt Harvey and Paul Cottrell were there, too. It was the first time both of them had met since the AI model became operational in January 2019. Nice Hi, Janet. Nice to meet you. Hello. Yeah. Hey. Oh, good. Yeah, you got your nice visitor to meet you, stuff. Matt. Yeah. Janet. Harvey wanted to see how the model was performing in the field. And we were all hoping to get a glimpse of the southern resident orcas. So this is this is our site. We got a warehouse here, and it's our whale ops. We met up at the Whale Operations Center in an industrial section of Vancouver on an island in the center of the Fraser River near the Salish Sea. The team boat is docked nearby. Inside, it's basically a big warehouse with all kinds of marine mammal research and rescue gear. Katro was eager to show it off. Yeah. Collection. What's in here? Uh, so it's just all the equipment that you'd need. Um, Cottrell also shows us DFO's spare hydrophones. They run on batteries or solar power because they're often placed in isolated locations, including a place called Active Pass. It's a favorite hangout spot for the orcas, and it also gets a lot of use by the British Columbia ferry system called BC Ferry. And our main focus was Active Pass, where we have a very narrow waterway and southern resident orcas do travel through there multiple times a year. And that's also where we have a lot of vessel traffic in a really congested, tight, narrow waterway, including BC ferries. So we wanted to be able to identify when the whales were approaching that area and when they were in there to to see if we had a robust and reliable uh, detection program and then we could let um, uh, agencies like BC Ferries know and that they would then wait to go in there. The data is sent through wireless signals that all gets fed into the ops center. 
we met uh, over in Victoria at that And we'll just show you. There's our microwave dish. That's the link. Our land-based stations are all wireless, and they'll beam to one center station, uh, this radar tower on Maine, and then it, it beams the signal here, and then it comes down into our whale ops operations center on all those screens that you see. The core of the ops center is a wall of big computer screens hung over cramped desks. The monitors are a physical display of the ocean sound coming through the AI model. The displays on the monitors are called spectrograms. They use light and dark colors to represent different sounds. In this case, orcas versus boat noise in the Salish Sea. Matt Harvey explains how his model translates the ocean and orca audio into images. If you look at these things, shapes emerge, arcs for tonal sounds, uh, vertical lines for impulsive sounds, horizontal lines for continuous tones or noises. And if you look at enough of them and look and listen at the same time, uh, you as a person can identify this, this is what the orca looks like, this is what the boat looks like. There are lots of AI models that train neural networks to classify images, like that's a cat or that's a house. But again, we're not talking about images here. We're talking about ocean sounds. Harvey's model turns the audio into images of time and frequency. So instead of height and width of an image, you have time and frequency on, on the other axis. And then the brightness of a pixel is the intent of the sounds. Harvey says for a software engineer, he's become really good at singling out whale species. How can you tell? Uh, practice. <laughs> a humpback's going to be, has like a low-pitched, up-sweeping whoop sound. Yeah, whoop. <laughs> and orca's more like a, I don't know how to describe this. It's a squeal, yeah. <laughs> The whales use other vocalizations, too, that the model has learned to pick up. Here's how it's supposed to work. The model is translating ocean sound into data that's shown on computer screens. When it identifies what it thinks is an orca, it pings Cottrell and his team. So instead of waiting weeks and months or even years to know where the orca have been, Cottrell and his team can confirm where they are right now this artificial intelligence auto-detect and program that actually can monitor these live stream hydrophones and then when they do t detect a marine mammal or an orca that they actually let us know through a mobile app and also through the internet by emailing us. Cottrell then identifies the orca call detections from the model. Eventually, the Coast Guard will have to alert commercial and ferry ship captains on a closed radio network, and then they'll have to slow their vessels down or change course to avoid the whales and reduce underwater noise. That's the theory. So here we are, watching the model do its thing, turning the audio it's collecting from the hydrophones into images. Matt explains what we're listening to. You can tell that that's not coming from an animal because it's spanning all the frequencies. All that's something. It seems like, do we have a vessel in here too? From yeah. the, yeah, <laughs> that, that uh, cyan. Harvey's pointing out the axis of the images, the time, the, the frequency, the higher amplitude sound, when all of a sudden... That might be there. Yeah, I heard something. 
Oh, yeah. They're there. Yeah. So <laughs> this is not planned. The hydrophones pick up orcas in the Salish Sea. Again, everyone on this trip is hoping for a chance to see these orcas, even Harvey, who says he tends to suffer from seasickness. And Cottrell is happy to take us out on the water. So what we're going to do is we'll suit up, we'll get everybody. So who's all... Cottrell hands us all black dry suits, waterproof neoprene protective gear that goes on over your clothes, along with waterproof gloves. I'd like to keep it to five people in the boat. We leave the whale up center and head down to the research vessel docked nearby. I'm expecting a big, sturdy-looking vessel, like a Coast Guard-style rescue boat. But no, we pile onto a 24-foot, rigid-hull inflatable boat. It looks very small, with very little protection from wind and water. What's up? Everybody geared up? Oh, yes. Oh, perfect. Just for safety is, I'll yell secure. Secure is the safe secure. word. Secure is the safe word. And we're off. The motor is powerful and the boat goes at a fast clip. It has to because it's often used for marine mammal rescue emergencies. The wind is bracing. And sorry, Matt Harvey, but the ride is bouncy. Kind of like riding a galloping horse. We keep our eyes peeled for Orca, but we're also going to check on some of the hydrophones. After a quick look, we head out again toward a place called Active Pass. This is the place Cottrell talked about earlier. It was the impetus for the entire hydrophone project. We've been out searching for just about 20, 30 minutes, but this is boat time, and it feels a lot longer. Remember, this is early March. The wind is relentless, and the water frigid and splashing on deck. I'm holding on so tightly, my arms start to ache. Just as we're thinking, well, this won't be our day to see the orcas, we spot them. Uh, 10 o'clock, about 100 meters. 10 o'clock, 100 meters, for sure. And mammal. There's one right there. I see at least a dozen orca. Cottrell counts 15. They're milling, looking for food, foraging together, several hundred meters away. They rise up out of the water in unison. Most of the females all cluster together, and then two males follow the rest of the group, You can tell because they're bigger, and they have these shockingly large, straight dorsal fins that glide up on top of the water. When they surface, their explosive breaths unleash a tall spray of seawater. Like I said, this part of the Salish Sea is called Active Pass, and it certainly lives up to its name. It's also a great example of how the AI program can help these orcas. It's a narrow strait of water, about 1,800 feet across. Now, that may sound wide, but Canada and U.S. regulations require boats to keep a 1,300 feet distance from any orca. That said, boats have little control if the orcas approach the boat. So that leaves 500 feet 
not much room when you consider that the ferries coming through here can be 90 feet wide and often cross paths through this narrow channel. A few minutes go by and a whale watching boat approaches the area. Other boats are nearby as well. As we all enjoy the view of the orcas, a large ferry boat joins the crowd in the channel. With the ferry boat here, along with several other boats and the orcas, this narrow waterway is getting tight. So we're gonna we're gonna head back now just so we get back in time. And the weather's pretty good right now, so and by pretty good, in the Pacific Northwest, that means partly cloudy, decent visibility. This area is notorious for its foggy, overcast days. And that can only add to poor visibility for ship captains trying to avoid the southern resident orcas. This situation illustrates how crowded the Salish Sea can get in parts. The increased underwater noise also intensifies as more ships crowd the area. It's this kind of ship traffic that Cottrell says the Google AI's auto-detection program could help to mitigate. You know, the, one of the main thrusts is active pass to make sure we know when whales are approaching. And again, with the, uh, the program, the auto-detection that helps of knowing when they're there, when they're coming in, to be able to notify uh, groups that, that they're there and so we can work with them. And they, uh, they want to work with us. so. We're getting to the level where we can actually um, make sure that there's minimal impacts on the whales when they're in active pass. These waters will likely stay crowded. Whale watching boats make their money by following the orcas, and ferries need to stay on schedule or passengers could balk. But with only 72 left, researchers say losing just one southern resident orca would impact the entire population's chances of survival. Listening to the southern resident orcas with the help of artificial intelligence could provide hope for this population. Regulators can know with more certainty where the orcas are and help ships to avoid them. The Google AI Coast Guard alert notifications were supposed to be up and running this summer, but the program's been delayed, Cottrell says, because of the coronavirus. For many researchers, there is a sense of urgency around how to more quickly protect marine mammals globally. Efforts are even underway to explore rudimentary attempts to communicate more directly with marine mammals, instead of just listening. On the next episode of The Future of Everything, how researchers are using technology to establish foundational communication with marine mammals. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. Lee Camping Carter is digital director of The Future of Everything. This episode's sound designer is Sean Marquand. Special thanks to Paul Spong from Orca Lab and Sarah Haisong Shimazu from Wild Orca for sharing their whale audio with us. Our producer is Casey Georgie. Kateri Yokum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Janet Babin. Thanks for listening. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight 
starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.